Mountain family. It's good to be together. Uh, wherever it is you're participating from, online, on one of our campuses, big welcome to you. Uh, I want to start by maybe uh, coming to terms with the problem we've been, been experiencing. Around. It's, a, it's a good problem to have. If you've uh, been around to our campuses, you know that Mountain is growing, growing very quickly. Uh, and some of our services at some of our campuses are hitting capacity. Right? It's a good thing. We celebrate that, church. Like, yeah, let's celebrate what God's doing, bringing in tons of new people, people who haven't been around in a while. And God is using the series this new year to really start mounting off with a huge bang, just reaching people in important ways. And so uh, it's a problem that we feel like we need to solve, and we have. And so here in just a couple weeks, some new service times are going to roll out at some of our campuses. want to bring your attention to those. You'll see a slide uh, here with some service times on it. Okay, we're starting a Saturday night at Aberdeen, Abingdon, and Mountain Road. Uh, we'll be starting an 8 a.m. service, which means there's implications to the other service times as well. So pay attention to that. Online is going to make some shift as well. Look at those service times. Pay attention to it. Take note. Adjust accordingly. Here's the thing you might not know. Okay, when we have a service happening at four campuses and online, there are about 300 people who are serving as a part of that campus saying, I want to make a difference in the world. And so that means by adding one more new service, there are 300 new serving opportunities for anyone who says, you know what, I'm not serving anywhere, but guess what? I can hold a door, I can welcome people, I can play guitar, I can run a camera, I can push buttons, I can play with kids, I, I can hold a baby, I can lead a large group, I can lead a small group for kids, whatever it might be, okay, the Lord has gifted each of us with some kind of gift, and if you want to make a difference in this world, you can do so by serving as a part of one of these new services, okay? All the details for that you can find uh, by texting the word served, the number that you're going to see on the screen, I think like, like right here. Oh, it's right there, okay? It will be here in a second, okay? Ready? Let's do it. There it is. Boom. Perfect. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Magic. Text that number uh, and text the word serve there, and it'll shoot you back a link on some ways that you can get involved. It's a good problem to have. We're excited about it. God is on the move through this church, okay? All right, we're going to shift gears real hard. We're in this series called Weeds in My Garden. And this is a chance for us to get honest about the world and the, the toll that mental health has had on it. The reality is that we, we have a problem. People are struggling. We have a life to live, a beautiful life, and some weeds they are starting to creep in. Whatever it might be for you, if it's anxiety, suicidal thoughts, burnout, stress, worry, loneliness, depression, every single one of us, in some capacity, we struggle with mental health, all of us. And people, they're, they're looking for help and answers. You know how I know that? We're one. Uh, the people who have been participating in these services each and every single week, but also this coming Friday, we have a special mental health night, uh, uh, a chance for us to gather with some experts and learn a little bit about uh, how we can speak specifically to kids and teens. That was supposed to be at our Aberdeen campus, but guess what? Aberdeen can't hold it anymore because so many people have said, hey, I want to go. And so that is now moving to our Mountain Road campus this Friday night. So if you are registered, take notes. If you are not yet registered, there is now plenty of room, okay? So let me invite you. Don't miss that. It will be a really powerful night to be together. And today, as we continue in this series, we're going to be talking about depression. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and it's a big topic, I realize. And more people are suffering with depression today than ever before. It's taking a toll on us, on our community, on our world. Have you ever heard the word pandemic used before? Anybody? Is that a new word to you? It's almost like depression is a pandemic in the world today. Did you know that more adults than ever are suffering with depression? Studies say that 66% of adults have had a major depressive episode in the last year, with the majority of those being in the 18 to 30-year-olds. 
Antidepressants have become the second highest volume drug in the U.S. with 250 million prescriptions last year in a nation of 330 million people. More and more data is coming out on the subject. More and more books are being written. People are paying attention. They're noticing that there's something wrong, and they're starting to respond to it. And a book that has been super formative in my life has been formative in the creation of this message is one by this guy named John Mark Comer. It's called My Name is Hope. We're going to put a picture of it right here. If you're suffering with anxiety or depression, get this book and read it. Because this book, for me and so many others, well, it's been a book that has given a voice to this matter and has brought hope. And through this series, uh, we've come to terms with the fact that this world, it's, it's filled with trauma, with hurt, with sadness, with mourning, with grief, with trouble. We, we, let's be honest, we feel that, don't we? Like if it's not me personally feeling it, I know somebody else who is. So these last several weeks, we've been making some space to talk to God about it. Put some light on the fact that what we're expressing right now is real. We need to be honest and we need to respond. We know that grief in this world was not God's plan. It's not inflicted by God, but it's real. And we need to posture ourselves in a way that seeks God in it all. After all, if you look at the Bible, like if you really get to know the Bible, the Bible is no stranger to a suffering world. The biblical writers, they never shied away from the fact that there's, there's brokenness and sadness and hardship and frustration and tension in this world where dependence on God is required to get through life. And there's this moment in the Bible where Jesus, he, he's teaching his disciples and he's talking all about like, hey, something is coming that's going to bring you a lot of grief but I'm going to turn your grief to joy. And Jesus is talking about his own walk, his own journey, a journey that would end with his death, but eventually his resurrection. And he's preparing his disciples for this, saying, guess what, it's gonna be hard. But then he gives them these words of advice. And these are words that we need today as well. He says, I've told you all these things so that me, you may have peace. See, in Jesus, we can have peace because in this world, you will have trouble. Now notice what it doesn't, like there's 50-50 odds you're going to have trouble. All right, it's like, roll the dice, maybe, it's gonna, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus is a straight shooter, and here's what he says. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. We can have hope, because Jesus has overcome it all. Jesus never, ever pretends like there won't be suffering, like there won't be trouble. Biblical writers like Paul and James and Peter, the Old Testament, they echo what Jesus is saying here. We live in a world with suffering and brokenness because of sin. And times will come that will be tough to bear. And there will be weight to carry that will be very, very heavy. And some of us, we're feeling that right now. And Jesus, he, he experienced some of that trouble himself. Uh, it's in, in, in John chapter 11 when Jesus gets word that uh, his best bud, his bro, his BFF forever, Lazarus. Okay, Lazarus is sick. They were good buddies. Jesus loved him as the Bible described. He got word that Lazarus was sick, and by the time he got to the place where Lazarus was, well, Lazarus had died. He had passed on. Jesus is standing there at the tomb about four days after Lazarus has died, and here's how, here's how the scriptures uh, relay the way that Jesus felt. It says this, when Jesus saw Martha weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was torn up with grief. He was torn up with grief in spirit and in trouble. And it continues, and it says this. Jesus says, where have you laid him? They say, come and see, Lord. And Jesus convulsed 
with grief. See, Jesus, he was no stranger to the emotions that we deal with. Sadness, grief, pain, heartache, the temptation to be overworked and overburdened. But he also shows us a path on how to navigate those in a way that allows the Lord to sustain us through them. Because the reality is, in this world, there's going to be things like sickness and death, sadness and grieving, loss of jobs, disappointment, people who let us down, betrayal, stubbed toes, your sports team's going to lose, okay? It's going to happen. And strong faith over time knows that reliance on God is the only way to get through it. Jesus knew sorrow. But he didn't allow sorrow to captivate all of his life. And the reality is, for suffering with depression, depression is when sorrow becomes a way of life. It's when you have that persistent feeling of sadness and loss. It affects how you feel. It warps your normal behaviors, changes the way that you think about yourself and about others. It brings with it physical and emotional problems that you can feel. Sadness tearfulness, emptiness, and hopelessness. Depression can be crippling, and it leads you to feeling all alone. And I don't know what exactly the Lord needs to say to you today if you are somebody who is dealing and fighting with depression, but one thing I know you need to hear and might be the only thing you need to hear today is you are not alone. You are not alone in it. God is with you, and God's community, his church, which is meant to represent him in this world, is with you. It's a promise that God gives to us. This is a good place for you to be. It's a place where it's okay to not be okay. You're not alone. There are people who have walked the path that you're walking. There are people who have been in your shoes. And isn't there something awfully reassuring and helpful about solidarity? Knowing that someone has been there, done that, and come out the other side with hope? And it's not just people who have walked in our church. You examine scripture. You look at the Bible, and we see people who have walked this path. Just last week, Ben talked about Elijah, who defeated the prophets of Baal. He was on the mountaintop. But then, all of a sudden, he was running for his life, burned out, tired, sad, and suicidal. David, one of the greatest kings in all of history, he says stuff like this. You can read it for yourself here. David was filled with grief constantly, yet the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart you got people like Jonah, Job, Jeremiah. All throughout Scripture, we see the fact that depression is real and the Bible never tries to hide it. Maybe today you're deep in depression. Hear me. You're not alone. You're not alone. Or maybe this is a new discovery for you. You're just coming to terms with that reality and that fact. You're not alone and there's hope. Or maybe you're walking with somebody who is currently dealing with and walking through depression themselves. Maybe it's a spouse, a friend, a child, a coworker. I don't know. But you need to know this. It's real. It doesn't mean they're weak. It means they need you. And this church is here to walk through you with it. You are not alone and there is hope. I've heard that navigating depression is a lot like going into surgery, okay? Depression is a symptom of something under the surface, and surgery is necessary to figure out what's going on. Surgery, it comes with, with prep, with thoughtfulness, a little bit of, of pain, some soreness, and maybe a period of rehab. But it's all necessary, and it leads towards health in the end. So if you find yourself struggling, let's do the pre-op right now. Let's get ready for surgery, and when you're ready, grab a scalpel and cut on in, okay? Start poking around, see what's in there. 
you you got to start by doing the work to, to uncover and discover what it is that's causing that internal, internal turmoil. And I know that going down that path, it, it takes courage, it takes really hard work, and it takes, it takes grit. If you're tired of living under the thumb of depression, it's the work that you need to do. So start to examine your life, do, do an internal inventory to figure out what's going on inside of you. There's work to be done. Okay? Perhaps something's happened to you. You're the victim of a past abuse, pain. Maybe you've been giving yourself to something that isn't pleasing to God, some kind of sin that, that nobody else even knows about. Perhaps you feel guilt from a past decision, an abortion, a lie, a fair, you cheated. Maybe you're carrying some resentment or bitterness or heavy worry. You have deep sadness from loss. You have bad rhythms in your life that keep running you down. Maybe it's pride. I don't know what it is for you, but step one is to uncover it because at the core of depression, the cause is sin, and it's not always your sin. And that's why the gospel is good news. Jesus promises to deal with our sin when we expose it to him, when we bring it to him. And so as we do surgery and we figure out what's going on in there, we bring it to Jesus, the gospel says that God is going to deal with it. He brings forgiveness and the power to overcome. If you turn to him, you are forgiven. The gospel is mercy. The gospel is a God who meets you where you are but refuses to leave you there. The gospel is about a God who wants to transform your life in a way to where you start to experience the goodness of heaven here on earth. The gospel is about increased dependence on God and the presence of God even in the darkest parts of your life, offering sustaining power through him. The gospel reminds us that we're not alone, but instead we're deeply connected to a God who loves us and the body of Christ, which is his church. But you got to start by digging in and seeing what's going on and being honest with God, bringing it before him. Look deep in your soul, uncover what's in there, and invite God into it. I've gotten to see the, the gospel transform some lives, some lives that have suffered with depression, people who are near and dear to me, people who I really love. One of those is my mother. I called my mom this week on, uh, on Zoom. She lives way out west and just said, hey, would you, would you share your story with our church? And we talked for a long time, we recorded the whole thing, and then we had to edit it down because she's a talker, okay? <laughs> but I hope her story and her testimony will be an encouragement to you. So Mountain Family, meet my mom. All right, so hey, Mountain Family. Uh, this is my mom, Donna Fox, and she's uh, kind, kind of here via the Zoom box, uh, hanging out and a willingness just to share her story and her testimony with our church family. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful you all get to meet her. And I know like you all have so many questions, and the first one that you, you certainly have uh, that you're all dying to ask. Mom, I'm gonna ask you right now, okay? Uh, which, which one of us, Shad, Travis, myself, which one's your favorite son? Okay, that's what everybody wants to know, so go on. Say it, we're ready. Go ahead. Uh, the never-ending question. You know, you and Travis are the only two that ever asked me that. And Shad has never, ever, ever said, Mom, am I your favorite son? Oh, so please. I'm wondering if he kind of sits back there like in a quiet confidence that he just might be the favorite. I don't know, maybe, just saying. <laughs> Seriously. Well. There's no favorite. You know that. You have three kids of your own. They all have a special place in your heart. Well, no, no. I tell all... my kids on any given day, depending on how they're behaving, which one is my favorite. Okay. <laughs> well, that's your choice. I don't do that. I, you guys all bring something special to my heart, and you all have a equal space in there. I love you all dearly. 
I know. I love you too. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for that. We all we all know the truth on who's the favorite, though. Okay. Um, okay. So that's not why we're here. Uh, we're here to dive into some of your story. And as we entered into this series, Weeds in My Garden, uh, and I uh, was given the topic of depression to share on, to preach on, uh, I just started having these kind of flashbacks, these memories of my childhood and knowing I was a long time ago and I was really young. So it's, it's all pretty vague as I think about it. But I, I remember as a child, you struggling through some really heavy emotional times. I remember uh, the front room in our house, the white room, as I called it. Uh, it was like all white carpet and white walls. And uh, you would sit in there and it would be obvious uh, that there was pain and hurt. There would often be tears. And so uh, maybe if you're willing, just share a little bit about what led you to that place and what was going on in those moments. Mm -hmm. That's interesting that you call it the white room. I always thought of it as the bright room because it had a full, full window full of or full front wall full of windows and the sun whenever we got sun could come in through there and the white carpet is not something i would have chosen with three boys but hey it was there and i loved it so anyway i kind of would go in there and curl up in a chair that chair and ottoman that i had in there that i had flowers all over it and i loved it and it was just a place where i could kind of feel a little respite from the dark place i was in i had some Traumatic things happened when I was a teen and preteen and just really hadn't done dealt with them because you just, um, your stuff was your stuff and you kept it that way. You didn't deal with it. And so um, as a result, I spent a lot of the majority of my life trying to please or make up for whatever hurt I caused people and uh, especially my parents. Um, and it was exhausting and just really honestly impossible. Um, and I grew up in a religion um, where I experienced more of a fear of God and shame that I wasn't good enough and um, I never could be, no matter what I did or how hard I tried. I guess you were probably about 10 at the time or 10 or 11, probably 10, I think, because it was in the mid 90s. And um, all of this just come, came crashing down. I just, I don't know why at that time, it just, it just, it just kind of one thing led to another. And it seemed like no matter what I did, I couldn't please anyone. I couldn't, I couldn't make anything better. I would go in this room and I would kind of cry at the drop of a hat. And I know you find that hard to believe because I cry a lot, <laughs> but nevertheless, I really, I really did. I mean, it was like gut-wrenching cries. Um, it was, the darkness was just really hard to explain. It was like, for me, it was like a cloud full of, uh, I mean, a sky full of dark gray clouds that would just come into my soul and they just sat there and I couldn't get them out. I couldn't get past it. I, um, I, everything like getting out of bed, uh, taking care of all of you, our home, it just felt insurmountable to me sometimes, most of the time, but you know, meeting, loving and marrying your dad, one of the best things I've ever done. <laughs> He's a good one. He is. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, he loves me beyond measure. He always had my back and um, he'd been there through me forever, through every high and low. Um, I had three beautiful boys, still do, that I love dearly. But um, life was hard and I couldn't find any joy in it. And at that time, I was um, 
I was working. So I would go through the motions. Um, I, I think a lot of people with anxiety and depression put on mask and I wore my mask well. All right, so you're suffering with depression uh, at this point. Uh, you've been living with it for a while and you start working to overcome it. And like you said, you have some, some baggage from the religion that maybe uh, said like, don't bring it up or it's shameful. Uh, so you started to do something. What did you start to do to try and get out of the depression? Um, well, I wanted this, yeah, I did. I wanted this cloud in my spirit to go away. So I didn't like the way the drugs were making me feel. It was like I was almost numb. It made me dizzy and cloudy. And so with the help of my family doctor and um, a pharmacist, I opted to wean myself off of those. Um, but obviously that didn't help either. So I really wanted to find healing, not necessarily treatment. Anyway, I decided to seek counseling. Um, and not really knowing what I was looking for, it took a couple of counselors before I found somebody that I felt like I could connect with and like. And that person just happened to be a Christian. That's not that I was looking for a Christian counselor. Actually, I didn't even know the, the difference. <laughs> but um, looking back, God knew what I needed even before I really did, you know? While this was helpful, it wasn't the answer. I needed to keep searching. When I was um, with the counselor in our own little bubble, it felt safe. But in the outside world, it kind of, all I wanted to do was curl up in my chair. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to be around people. Um, so I forced myself just really to get through every day. I put my proverbial mask on and did the minimum I had to do mm -hmm. each and every day. So you're, you're uh, still suffering with depression. You're seeing a counselor that's helpful in some ways. Uh, and you've kind of weaned yourself off the meds, didn't like the way that made you feel. Uh, and so a little, little bit of help, but you're not making the ground you would hope. You're still living with a lot of that darkness. Uh, but then, uh, as I know, and you know, you started to find hope and healing and maybe the place that you least expected, right? So walk us through that. Well, at the time we were sporadically attending church at a more like non-traditional Catholic church. And a friend down the street invited Travis to a middle school event on Friday nights at a, at a local uh, Christian church. It's kind of like mountain. Um, and Trav went because there was a girl there. He really liked, you know, middle school boys. <laughs> and anyway, after several weeks, um, he asked dad and I if we, um, could go to that church on Sunday instead of our other church. So one Sunday we did. And um, you remember John Nelson? Mm -hmm. Well, he and Chris, he was your soccer coach for a couple yep. of years. He and Chris came over to us and just really welcomed us, made us, I mean, just hugged on us and asked us to sit with them. And um, do you remember that at all? You were, you were young, but yeah, I do. I remember we, we walked into Northeast Christian Church and there were the people who we interacted with in everyday life, the Nelsons. And they, yeah. they, uh, I remember seeing him because he always wanted me to play football and I didn't want to. And he gave me <laughs> a hard time about it. <laughs> well, um, anyway, um, we did sit with him and I remember being teary through that whole service. And I wasn't sure why, but I think it was because I felt some guilt that I wasn't at the Catholic Church, to be honest. And uh, because I grew up, I, I grew up believing it was a sin to attend another church other than the Catholic church. And so <clears throat> here I was adding to my things I could never make up for, you know, anyway, um, you guys all love the service. 
I liked the service as well. I loved the worship. Um, I liked that John and them made us feel so welcome. And we would go into church um, at our other church and nobody even knew who we were. So this was just, it was like, wow, you know? Anyway, um, this is kind of where my healing, I think, really began, is, is just looking back on that time. They, after we, we would go at Sunday after Sunday and John and Chris were, were right there all the whole time and they invited us to um, join their small group at church. And so that's where the healing, I think, really began. It's just that group of people, even though at first I really didn't want to go, I wanted to stay secluded in my pain. That's it. it I didn't want anybody else to know my jump, my stuff, you know, but in joining this little group of believers, we were introduced to actually reading the Bible instead of just having it on the table. And we heard the whole gospel really for the very first time. Um, yeah, really for the very first time I knew Jesus died for my sins, but I was taught that there was still work to be done, you know? And, and I was so weary because I kept messing up and this depression seemed like something that I could never make right. And the Bible told me that Jesus, it did that for me. He lived the life I was supposed to live. He died the death I was supposed to die. And he rose from the grave forever, defeating Satan, sin, and death, all, all for me. Well, and for you too, but you know, it was just like, mm -hmm. for me, this was for me. And Jesus did this. He did for me what, what I could never do for myself, you know? So in, um, in God's word, I began to learn that he, he, that God is actually for me. Um, that when I put my faith in Jesus as Lord and savior of my life, I'm truly set free. M my favorite verse or the verse that I fall back on is in Deuteronomy 31, eight, the Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And actually those words are in the Bible many times, not just in Deuteronomy, but several times. Um, this verse continually brings me comfort, knowing God's always with me. He's never going to leave me. He goes before me in this battle of depression daily because it is a daily fight. Sometimes I have to do things scared. You know, the promises of God are many in the Bible, and I believe his grace is sufficient. Anyway, the community we found in that small group of believers was very instrumental in our walk with Jesus, not just mine, but dad's too. Um, I think even in your all's, to be honest, mm -hmm. truth be told. Um, I started to read and study the Bible and listen to worship music, and uh, I, I love worship and praise music. It's just the best. Um, and my dark valley became a little less day by day, week after week, month after month, year after year, to be honest. Eventually, there were days that I would wake up not dreading um, the day ahead, which was not the case before that. And maybe if you don't mind, say a word about you You started to say uh, you didn't always want to be around those people. Uh, when you're in a depression, some, like the last thing you kind of want is to be around people, but they, right. they kind of threw a lasso around you and pulled you in, right? He kept asking and asking. And, um, and we finally just, Gary, dad just said, we, we just need to go. Let's just do it and yeah. see what it's like. And then we'll decide if we want to go back. You, you've moved a long way. Uh, you've come a long way. Praise but God. Certainly, uh, there's still this lingering desire or prompting to kind of go back into the dark places. And so how do you, how do you keep from going back there now, all these years later? 
Uh, you know, the sadness is just, it's, it can be a daily struggle for me. Some days are worse than others. Um, to keep my, to keep myself up and moving forward, I, I continually turn to the Lord to sustain me all, every day. Um, I pray Psalm 3-3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And he lifts my head daily. And um, he protects me. He does. He lifts my head daily. And sometimes it's minute by minute, you know, because like today it's cloudy out. And I don't know why, but clouds, it's maybe it's that reminder of those, that darkness that was in me, but clouds just, they do a number on me. So I have to make myself, I have to stay, stay connected to God. I pray most of the time during the whole day, because um, I'll just say, Lord, I need you to, I need you. Mm -hmm. You know that song, Lord, I need you. <laughs> um, I take vitamin D. Vitamin D is huge for me. Um, sunshine. Living out here in Vegas, we have sunshine most of the time. And I, mm -hmm. I go out. I let the sunshine help me. Um, I found that moving more, walking, just releasing those endorphins help. Um, mostly, though, it's just being around, being in community, being with people. As part of that little group, I uh, joined women's Bible studies, which I adore. I love studying the Bible with other women. Um, I found myself smiling more for real, not just pretending, but for real smiling more. Um, longing to be around good people instead of avoiding them. Um, obviously, these changes were gradual and didn't happen overnight. It was probably a, a process of months to years, to be honest. Um, but this sweet group of believers helped us understand things we didn't know. And in turn, they actually found a renewing of their faith. John even told me that one day they found a, re a renewing of their faith in all of our innocent mm. questions. You know, they walked alongside us. They encouraged us in our faith. They became dear friends along the way. But as time passed, um, dad and I in our early forties, put our faith in Jesus um, declared him our Lord and Savior, and we were baptized in the Lutz's Pond, one of our small group members. John baptized Dad, and then Dad baptized me. And our life has not been the same since. <laughs> you know, um, look what God has done. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and the ripple effect of uh, one, Mike McCloskey inviting Travis to come meet a girl at you know, Friday night youth group to us going to the Nelson's walking us to, to pulling you into small group to kind of discipling you all and showing you Christ, uh, what that has done for your life and helping you to, to be able to deal with, fight with, you know, overcome in a lot of ways, uh, the depression, but also mm -hmm. the ripple effects of the ways that that inspired you and dad to invest in me. Uh, my brothers, uh, the ministry that we get to do now, the life we get to live uh, walking with Jesus and beyond uh, to our family, uh, Brent and Brad and Blair and Daryl and, and Mason. I mean the, yeah, and just, Mason, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's this crazy. huge, huge list of, uh, in a lot of ways, the Lord has used what you went through and he redeemed yeah. you and that redemption has led you uh, to be a missionary to our family. And now we've got a bunch of people in ministry. Like, how crazy is that? What business do I have being in ministry? Come on. And uh, the way That's what the I'm Lord saying. Has, 
Look what God is. You don't done. have to He's agree. Like... You don't have to agree with that. You know <laughs> that. Come on. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm tracking. I'm, I mean, I'm just I'm awed and honored and blown away by what God has done in and through mm. all of us. But I mean, just just a huge statement. Look what God has done. You know, and who yeah. I could never have written that story or thought even thought it would exist. You know, I just didn't exist to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe one more question for you, and this can be uh, real brief, but someone right now is hearing this uh, who's suffering. Uh, they're going through depression. They're feeling it. Maybe they're in hiding. In a sentence or two, what words of encouragement would you have for them? I think we were we were made for fellowship with God, with, but also with one another. Um, so ask the Lord to guide you in, commu- in finding community with other believers. I know some days can be so hard, but God loves you. He's for you, and he's always with you and never leaves us. He'll never leave you. God is, is in your story, and he's still writing your story. And I just uh, pray all the best for you. Thanks, Mom. Appreciate it. Thanks for your courage uh, and encouragement to our church family and know that your story, your willingness is going to make a difference. So love you. Appreciate you. Mountain fam, do me a favor. Show my mom some love and thank her for for being with us today. I love you both. All right. That's my mom. It's been a long, hard journey, and I actually learned some stuff this week I didn't know before. The Lord's redeemed her, and the Lord can redeem you. And to see the story that he's writing in her life, that the Lord wants to do the same thing for you. And that journey for her, it's come through deep study of Scripture and love of God, and through that, the Lord has taught her some stuff, impressed some stuff upon her heart that's been vital. Uh, Some of what I I learned in John Mark Comer's book, uh, some of what I've learned just through reading Scripture. And so... So maybe what would be helpful in the couple of minutes we have left, which we don't have much time, so I'm going to hustle here, okay? It's just to share a few things. There's some tools to put in your tool chest that if you're suffering with depression right now, take these, use them, leverage them. Allow them to bring you hope. First one, you got to fill your mind with good stuff, all right? And the good stuff is God's stuff. You gotta fill your mind with good stuff. Philippians 4, it says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, think about those things. Meditate on those things, and the God of peace will be with you. Scripture talks about this often, about how important it is that we fight for God's space in our minds. What you read and what you watch impacts you. What you don't read, what you don't watch, it impacts you. Read Scripture, study Scripture, memorize Scripture, lean on the Bible, other books and podcasts that make much of Jesus, and watch as that starts to transform your thinking and allows some light to shine into the dark places of your soul. Fill your mind with good stuff. Pray, and then pray, and then pray, and then pray, and then pray. Pray. Don't just have moments of prayer, have a whole life of prayer. Make every moment holy. Let your cadence be a walking prayer with God. Make every moment one that you realize long obedience to a life of prayer leads to a life transformed. Won't happen instantaneously, but as you continue to invite God into every single aspect, well, God starts to transform your mind. Philippians 4, it says, don't be anxious about anything but in everything through prayer and perdition. 
present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, will be with us. Learn to live a life of prayer. Care for your body. Your body impacts your mind. Get, get enough sleep. Have healthy rhythms. Exercise. Walk. Watch what you eat. Get fresh air. Don't stare at a screen all day. If you trash your body, you will also trash your mind. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians, they both talk about how important it is that we take care of our body because at the end of the day, our body is a temple for the living God. If we care for our bodies, we better care for our soul and our mind. And lastly, be reminded you're not alone, so don't try and do this alone. Your faith, it was, it was never meant to be a solo act. You were saved from your sin into God's community, so don't live in isolation. Ask for help because the church is a hospital full of people who want to help, who want to walk this life with you. Ultimately, if you want hope, you need Jesus. And Jesus says, I want to use my church to bring that hope into your life. church, it's a place of refuge, a place to refuel, a place for us to become God's kingdom together. And it's vital to your spiritual life, to your mental health, to your vitality. The word fellowship used in the Bible, it means authentic, raw, deep, substantive, honest, transparent, conversations that cut deep. Nothing to the early church was off limits. No, everybody in their church had access to the deepest and darkest places of their lives. Community is key to what it looks like to live a life that can overcome the darkness of this world. This thing that we do together here, worshiping as a church. I love our online community. I'm a big fan of it. I'm so glad that so many people can connect online. It's often supplemental for me if I'm out of town. There are people far from here that can't connect with us, but there's something so beautiful and so right and so good about being together, hearing the voices of God's church, being able to shake a hand and offer a hug, sip on coffee and talk about life. Don't grow weary in meeting together. Don't just come to church for this series. No, make it a habit, make it a rhythm, make it a part of your life because it will make a difference and it will bring you life. Join a small group. Join a community, a closeness of people who really, really know you, intimately know who you are. They have access to the deep places in your heart and your soul. And if you do that, then they can do what Galatians calls us to do when Paul says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. You are not on this journey alone. There are people here who want to walk with you. You just have to allow them access. And if you do, you'll find refreshment, You'll find connectedness. If therapy is your only outlet, you're just going to lead yourself further into isolation. I'm a fan of therapy. I've benefited from therapy. My wife works for a counseling organization. I'm not dissing therapy. A buddy of mine this week told me, if you have a counselor and that's the only person who has access to the dark places of your heart and your soul, then one of two things is wrong. Either you have a bad counselor or you're not following their advice. Community is so important. Community that has access to you. 
And let me say honestly, this is not some shameless plug for the thing that I do as a pastor. No, this is me pleading with you as somebody who wants to see you live your best life and overcome the turmoil and the hurt and the frustration of this world. And I have seen it play out because the goodness of God and the goodness of his community and the people who I love most, and it has changed her life and it has changed mine. God is with you and so are his people. So lean in. If you know someone suffering, keep asking and asking and asking. Check in, listen, encourage. They need you. Don't give up on them. If you're suffering with depression right now, I know this takes courage, but let's do surgery. Let's uncover what's going on and lead into God, lean into his church, lean into his people, and watch as God continues to take the battle that you're fighting and fight it himself. Give God a shot. As people are imperfect, they're going to screw up, but give them a shot. Don't do this alone. Because whatever you're going through right now, God is with you and his strength can get you through it. I invite everybody at all of our campuses to stand together. And here in these next few moments, we're going to sing. It's going to be our opportunity to respond. Our opportunity to lean in. Our opportunity to allow God to enter into our lives and carry the weight and fight the battle with us. I thought maybe the best way for us to close would simply be by reading this verse from 1 Peter as our prayer. So I invite you to close your eyes, block out whatever else is going on, and just allow these words to be your words and allow the Lord to use them in this moment. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered for a little while will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast to him and him alone be the power forever and ever. Amen.